We have spent months um, going through the life of a giant in the faith, and we're getting ready to do it again. Book of Esther is where we'll be for the next couple months as we uh, just ride the wave of another amazing story to watch how God interacts in the life of someone else in the midst of a place that they may not have chosen to be, but that God blessed, that God used, that God did amazing things in and amazing things through. As we were sitting through Sunday school this morning, the thought dawned on me, you know, you and I are, when we open up the Bible, when we're reading these things, what we're reading is basically part of our genealogy. You and I are reading, it's like Ancestry.com, like you open up something and you're reading about people in the past that had an impact on your life. Something they had to offer was given to you. Your height, your hair, eye color, right? All of these things, they were passed down genetically to you. Every time you and I open the Scripture, we are dealing with the same kind of thing, only it's spiritual. When we're reading the New Testament and we're going through these letters to these churches, people in those churches, people that were living that life, had an impact on when you got saved, how you got saved, who was it that, did, uh, that was a part of that. All of those things come into play. It's the same thing with the Old Testament because Esther's story, Daniel's story, these things are used to bring Christ to this world. And so because of their work, Messiah comes. This Jewish Messiah comes. He comes through the lineage that was promised. Like These are not distant stories that have no impact on us. They are pieces of God's faithfulness that he made a promise and he would keep it. He made it in Genesis 3 when he told the serpent, you're going to bite the heel of the seed of woman to come, but he is going to crush your head. Who is that person? That person is Jesus. And you and I see as we read through Esther, we're going to see the Lord provide again. And he does so for the same reasons. The names may change and and the time period may change, but he does so for the same reasons. He, He supplies, he provides, he brings forth his promises, what? To prove himself true, to lift up the name of Jesus, and to bless you and I with the plan of salvation. Same reason why he fulfills his promises to you and I. Same reason why as we read through Esther, as we've read through Daniel, we've seen God do those things because the plan for him never changes. He's building the church. He's honoring King Jesus. He is putting things right that we broke. And because of that, as you and I read through this book, we're going to see that story all the way through. We've been in Daniel. What did Daniel's life show? For months we've talked about it. It shows God's power and God's gifting and a relationship with him. Daniel has an intimate relationship with the Lord. There's going to be a difference between him and Esther, though. Daniel was born in uh, Jerusalem. He was born in Israel, and he was taken somewhere else. Esther, on the other hand, is born in a foreign land. There's going to be a little bit of a difference to how they operate. We're going to see that as we go. What else does Daniel show? Daniel shows the power of being salt and light in a foreign land for the blessing of a foreign people and God's people. When you and I live out the will and the purpose of God, we not only bless those in the church, We bless those outside of the church. That element of salt and light is the only thing that binds cultures together. The goodness and the glory that comes from the gospel and biblical living is the only reason why you and I sit in the oldest constitutional republic the world has ever known. It is the only reason why you and I sit here a week after a vote was taken for leadership of our country in a country that's still running 
like that a little bit. The only reason is because of the biblical influence for centuries. That's it. There is, you and I live in the oldest running constitutional republic the world has ever known. We didn't get there by secular reasoning. We got there by biblical morality. Now, as we let go of that, we see chaos enter in. It just is what it is. Okay? So you and I are living with some of that recourse. We're living more and more in a foreign land, and we're just going to have to deal with it. We pray for revival, and we work in the mess. It's going to get harder to do that. Daniel shows the power of being salt and light, not only for God's people, but for a secular world. Daniel shows God's calling transcends time, country, or leader. His mission and provision take us where he needs us to be. Where you need to be, God will take you there. Just lean in in the morning and say, what do you want me to do, Lord? Put me in the position that brings you the most glory, and he will navigate that beautifully. Some of you, it will be taken somewhere else. Others of you, it will be taken to the grocery store or the gas station or work or the gym. Whatever it is you do in your daily life, you just pray that prayer and God is going to send you where you need to be for that day. And we go home, we rest, we get up in the morning and we do it again. And until he is done using you, until he is done using me, you are safe and secure and on mission. That is Daniel's life. He lived through three kingdoms. Three kingdoms, three different rulers, and yet God was faithful the entire time. Today we get to the unexpecting queen. Esther's story will show us again God, but it's going to show us God differently. It's going to show us God hidden. One of the crazy things in all the book, God is not mentioned in all of Esther. It's not mentioned. You're like, what what does that mean? (laughs) Well, we'll see it as we go through it. But there are some beautiful pieces to what is going on. What happens? We see God work in hidden action, in unannounced movement, in covert operation, and in consistent timing. You see, you can't look at this book and not say miracle, 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 miracle. Divine timing, divine intervention, divine hand, but yet his name doesn't need to be there. A lot of the days in our life, this is what it looks like. A lot of the days in the Christian life, it's not the praises that we've celebrated this morning. And thank God, it's not the the, the grief that we've also dealt with this morning. A lot of days in the Christian life, it is getting up and just doing what you have to do. It's like, man, where is God in all this? Right? We've talked before, we've talked about it in Sunday school on several occasions, but like the idea of the flat tire, right? Like, what is this doing today besides ruining my day? I'm never going to recover from this. Right? It's one flat tire. It's going to cost me 20 minutes and $200. Like, but I'm never, like, what is God doing in the middle of that? What is He doing when He drives you to Walmart to get a new tire? What is He doing when you get three in a hundred yards? That really happened. <laughs> really happened to a family I know, right? The dad was so irritated that when he changed a poopy diaper, he didn't even care about littering and he slung it over into the weeds. And when I did, I tried to sling it so far. I mean, when he did, he tried to sling it so far that he slung it so high it got caught in a tree. So then the people driving down this back road were going to see a bag hanging about 40 yards up. So, yeah, what is he doing? What are you doing, Lord? He's moving. 
He's stopping this that would have happened had you taken another step. He's running you into someone that needed exactly what you had to offer in that moment. You wouldn't have been there had you not been interrupted. Like that's the story of Esther and that's the story of a lot of our life. You and I wake up in the morning and a lot of times you're just navigating through the crazy and you're trying to figure out what is going on, what is, what is God doing? What if I gave you a whole book in the Old Testament that showed God moving just like that? What are you doing, Lord? Now, there was a word for this about 250 years ago, and the word was providence. If you read any uh, early American history, you see this word come up on repeat. Like when George Washington has two or three horses shot out from underneath him, and when he gets back from the battle that his coat has bullet holes in it, but he's still living, they would say providence. God's hand working in moment. When, when one of the most uh, unreligious founders, being Ben Franklin, calls for a time of prayer as they're trying to negotiate this stuff, others would say providence. Like, why didn't these other people with you know, biblical seminary degrees stand up and say, but no, it's Ben Franklin. We need to stop and pray about this because this is getting messy and nasty. Providence, right? Was it the Battle of Trenton when the fog cleared? The fog set in, and what did the, what did the, uh, what did the army do? Cross the river, right? They were trapped. George Washington was trapped. The next day was it. War was over, and yet a fog settled in, and they crossed the river, and as the last boat was crossing the river, what did the fog do? Lift. We'll say providence. God's hand at work without God's name being mentioned. That's the book of Esther. Providence is God's attention concentrated everywhere. Dr. Augustus Strong. Isn't that cool? Providence is God's attention concentrated where? Everywhere. Listen, your issues are not wearing him out. He has plenty of energy. You coming back into the throne room with that need, that grace, that repentance, that I'm sorry, that I need you, you're not wearing him out. His, concentra his concentration is everywhere at once. He's holding the universe together in the span of his hand. That's scripture. Jesus is holding it together. Your king, your big brother is holding it all together. He loves you. He cares about you. You're not wearing him out. You can't get outside of his attention. He's paying attention to the details too. Your flat tires, right? You see the thing on Facebook that's hysterical. Like, uh, why, why is it when I'm in a bad mood my clothing gets caught on the doorknob? Right, Yeah. Stuff like that. Sometimes he's teaching us to be a better person. Right? Sometimes he's just teaching us, like, calm down. Other times he's stopping something that would have happened or creating an opportunity for something else to happen. And you and I would be a lot more peaceful in life if we would just lean into it sometimes. Like, I'm not getting there on time today. Okay. Right? One of the greatest accidents ever happened to me and Allison when I had the wrong time for the plane and we missed our plane ride home from California to West Virginia and we had how many kids? Zero with us. Right? That was totally my fault. That's right. Yeah, missed it. Like, oh my goodness, we missed the plane. Yeah, we missed the plane. Well, you can't catch it now, so what are you going to do? Fret for three hours or just sit down in the terminal and enjoy a book and some quiet? Mom, uh, we got a problem. You need to call in some backup? We're going to be there about four hours later than we had anticipated. So, it wasn't intentional at all. 
at all. Listen, some of us would be a lot better off if you and I would just lean into the fact that your Heavenly Father is paying attention. He is mapping out some things that are out of your control, and it's for your, somebody say good. Like way of saying, I want to be in control. I want to be in control. I want to have all the details planned out. And God says, no, let me give you something better. Lean in. The whole book that we're going to go through for months is this very thing. The only difference is, instead of getting clothing hung on a doorknob or a flat tire, this one's life and death. You understand what I'm saying? We're going to be seeing something that is so intense as we read through this book. You and I need to understand. God is still the same. He's still working just like that. Moments of interruption, you and I need to stop acting like they're frustrations all the time. Sometimes they're character builders, otherwise known as frustration, right? There's no purpose in this right now other than slowing me down and making me deal with my own sin. That might be all that it is. But other times there is another reason, and it's way bigger than you or I could ever comprehend. Lean into it. Your father knows what he's doing. The unexpected queen. Well, what happens? Well, uh, the beginning of a blessing. I love this part because the whole first chapter is just worldly stuff. Like this is just worldly stuff. We're going to read through this and there is nothing godly in this except for the plan he is going to bring about. That is it. So what do we talk about today? We're going to talk about the idea of a party. That is all of chapter 1. There, Esther 1 is a worldly backstory. The start of every story with the, expectation, uh, with the exception of two is a worldly mess. What are the two stories that aren't a worldly mess? What are the two starts that aren't a worldly mess? Well, we could say Adam and Eve. God creates. Perfect in the garden. Petting dragons. Hanging out with lions. Naming them all. Petting them. Oh, come here, buddy. I'll call you a lion. Ooh, you're a good one. And then stop and like, man, there's still nothing here there for me, Lord. Got something. You're going to love this. Well, I, can't, I don't tell that joke right now. It's a good one, though. Adam looks at God and says, uh, God looks at Adam and says, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And Adam says, what can I get for a rib? Heard that one? It's dirty, isn't it? It's dirty. It's dirty. That's a dirty joke. But timed good, it's hysterical. Right? Now may not be the timing. I'll tell you later. That story, what about the other one? Jesus. You say, oh, no, Jesus was born in a manger. I mean, uh, there was no place in the end. No. Jesus is eternal. The son wasn't born. The baby was born. He took on human flesh. But Jesus doesn't have a beginning. You and I serve God. Our Messiah is the Lord. Every other start is a mess. Every other start is a mess. I don't care how awesome your parents were. I don't care how awesome your grandparents were. Every other start is a mess. The story of Esther is no different. An absolute mess. The degree may change, but the devil and the details rarely do. Like sinful situations are how you and I got here. It just is. Two sinners made another sinner. <laughs> Merry Christmas, right? Like, that's what happened. Now, listen, I tell you all that to say this. Like, some people have really hard stories. 
And some of them are leaning too far into them and creating uh, uh, shielding for bad behavior. You don't know anything about my life. You don't know what happened. No, but I know God. I know what He can change. You say, yeah, but it was really bad. And it was, I don't care. So what? Two sinners made me. Two sinners made you. Right? Like some people are leaning into that so far that they're making messes and other people are having to clean up for them because nobody's ever looked at them and said, so what? It's real and it hurts. Do you want to spend the rest of your life dealing with it? Or do you want some healing? Right? The devil and the details rarely change. The degree may. If you and I weren't part of making the mess, a lot of times we're playing in it when it's done. A lot of times you and I have made messes worse. And I say all that to say this, God still works. And you and I need to praise Him for that. We need to be very thankful that He is a God that dwells in that with us to get us out of it. Esther chapter 1, here we go. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the royal throne in Susa, the citadel, verse 3, in the third year of his reign he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media uh, and the nobles and the governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his what? Royal glory. Hmm. And the splendor of his what? Pomp of his greatness. This is a real awesome party. Right? Keep going with me. For many days, 180 days, and when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa the citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and uh, violet hangings fastened with cords and fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic uh, pavement, uh, pavement of porphyry. Marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion, meaning there is no limit. For the king had given orders to all the staff of the palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. So what do we got here? Well, verses 1 through 9, we've got a uh, nothing like a good party. Nothing like a good party to do what? Show your stuff off. Look at all of this. Look at all of me. Enjoy what I have to offer. Like there is nothing like a good party to be a smidge prideful. That's what this is all about. His royal glory, the pomp of his splendor. What could possibly go wrong? Right? Like this is a real good situation for everybody to be in. There's so much just worldly wisdom in this passage about being careful. Being careful. Who you hang around, where you're at. You get in the middle of somebody's celebration, you better be very, very careful what you say, what you do, what they say, and what they do. It's a dangerous moment to be in. You're celebrating the achievement of somebody else or you're celebrating something and it gets just a little degree off of what it should be and it becomes a very sinful place very fast. The rest of this chapter is just what happens when this party is ruined. 
It's ruined by a sinner. It's ruined by somebody wanting to show off his glory, his kingdom. Right? This king reigned from about 485 B.C. to 464 B.C. In 482, he decides to show off all of his stuff. Three years into his reign. What they don't know is that in 481, there's going to be a huge defeat that's going to kind of hammer him the rest of his life. So pride comes before the fall, right? But in this year, we're having the party. The worldly give and the worldly what? Expect. Be very careful when you're dealing with the world. A boss, a friend, some of you young ones, do not be dating people that don't believe in the Lord. Just listen to the scripture, not me. Right? I'm 41 and, you know, I don't know anything about what you're going through and all that other stuff. But I know the word. The word says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Business, same thing. Do not get yoked up with people that don't know the Lord and don't love him. Why? Because the world can give, but it gives with what? Expectation. This party is being given. What is the expectation? You're going to glory in what I glory in. You're going to enjoy my stuff. And you're going to give me some of that glory with it. Does it make sense? He's throwing this party. Why? To bring them in and celebrate him. It's a dangerous place to be. This pride party is also fed with what? Days of consumption. What could possibly go wrong? Right, man, let's take all this pride. Let's take all of this pomp, all this circumstance, and let's fuel it with alcohol. Right? 100%. This is going to be a blast. It is. Literally. It's going to be a blast. There's going to be a huge blow up here in just the next couple minutes. Right? Read on with me. Verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded uh, Mehuman, Bitztha, Harbona, Bigtha, and Abtha, Zeshar, and Carcass, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this time, the king became enraged and his anger burned. Nothing like a good party to what? Make a mess. There is nothing like a good worldly party to make a mess. That's what's happening here. Seven days in, everybody's feeling merry, right? And he requires something that, number one, even in the time, should not have been done. The queen was supposed to be this mystique. The queen was supposed to be hidden and, and, and beautiful and, dare we say, glorious in some aspect that was to be hidden from the public, and yet he wants to march her out for all to see. Now, it says, with crown. I don't know if that was with only crown, Right? I mean, this is just, we're reading the scripture here. This is the story. This is a secular kingdom. I don't know if that's what was meant. But he does something that's dishonoring. But wait a second. He's the king. Can he not require? He absolutely can. He's the king having a party. Is he not going to be a little off his rocker? Yeah, he is. And guess what happens? He requires something that he shouldn't. He asks or demands something that is wrong or improper, even for that secular world. This was not proper. So listen, friends, what happens if you and I are attached to someone with worldly, secular desires and they start to require things you and I can't oblige? What happens? Conflict. 
This is one of the reasons why we can't be unequally yoked. Because the moment that person that doesn't know the Lord wants to do something that dishonors the Lord, you and I have to look and say, I can't. Or we sin against the God of the universe and say, okay. It's troubling, it's scary, but it's just the way the world operates. In a time of queenly protection and royal mystique, the king opts to lay bare the prize. He opts to show what should be concealed, to open what should be closed, and she will not play along. Now, somebody else in the Old Testament does this too, and it's who? It's a king in uh, Jerusalem. He shows the royal treasury to some spies from another kingdom. And the prophet says, oh, what have you done? Safe places deserve access. Safe places, safe people deserve access. Be careful who you share stuff with. Your issues, your frustrations, even your temptations. Be careful who you share them with. It's one of the reasons why a safe church is so important, that we don't violate each other's confidence by gossip or strife. Why we don't sow discord by using other people's real life against them. We need to be careful. Safe places get access. Other places you need to be guarded. Guarded about what's going on in your family. Do not be telling your dirty laundry to people that will use it against you. That is social media, right? Don't be telling your dirty laundry to your parents sometimes. Some of you newlyweds, you need to listen to me right now or you're getting ready to get married. When that person that you love so dearly right now offends you, hurts you, does something they shouldn't do, don't run and tell mom and dad. Because the next day when you all kissed and made up, right, mom and dad are still heated. They still know those things. They still, and you know, like a married couple, you get to enjoy certain things that nobody else gets to enjoy. And so there's a binding there that God made on purpose. Because guess what? Two sinners making it is really hard. It's going to take some special treatment, right? It's going to take some special pieces of that marriage bond that get you and I there. Your parents don't have access to that. All they have is the dirty laundry, the frustration, the irritation. You be careful who you tell your secrets to. I'm not talking about people that are going to hold you accountable. I'm talking about people that are going to take that and use it against you. They're going to double-cross you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to manipulate you. You be careful. This was a moment of concealment, and he brought it out in the open. It's going to cost him, right? It's going to cost him. As king, there should be provision and protection. As husband, as father, as king, there should be provision and protection. He has provided this party, but yet he wants to offload the protection part. Alcohol makes emotional peaks with little time to wind up and no chance of a quick cool down. Some of you all have been in those places before. I saw enough alcohol growing up, I never wanted anything to do with it. So I can say with honesty, I've never tried a drink of anything alcoholic. But I've been around enough to know. When that stuff is present, things get wound up real quick. Young ones, you need to listen. You're going to show up at that party. You're going to show up at that place. You're going to show up with a buddy. It's been drinking, been doing some stuff. And you know what they're going to end up doing to you? Getting you in a mess too. The king actually puts a whole kingdom in a mess. Because what did he just do? He just had his bride tell him no in front of everybody. How do you think that's going to go? Pick carefully where you fight your battles. 
More people present, more opportunity for disrespect, more opportunity for an explosion. And more opportunity not to be able to fix what you do. If it's just the two of you and you're sorting out something, you say or do something you can't get back, you can apologize and never do it again. You do it in front of 10, 15, 20, or 30, there's no fixing that. That scar stays. That frustration stays. And that's going to be what comes up from his advisors when all this stuff gets going. They're going to be looking at him saying, what about the kingdom? Look at verse 13 with me. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure toward all who were versed in law and judgment. The men next to him, Karshana, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Merez, uh, Marcina, and Mekunan, uh, the seven princes of Persia and Medea who saw the face uh, the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has performed uh, she has not performed the command of the king delivered by the eunuchs, right? So he does something in public. Now they got to deal with it publicly. Very, very messy. Then Macumen said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king, has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the people who are in the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come, that uh, this very day the noble women of Persia uh, who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's official, and there will be what? This is terrifying. And what? A plenty. In plenty. In plenty. That sentence is strong. There's going to be contempt and wrath. Like your one drunken, stupid request is going to throw the whole kingdom in chaos. Brothers and sisters, you need to understand your one stupid request may throw your home, your church, your life, your work into chaos. Get all prided up. That's what me and some buddies used to laugh about in the gym when you would be getting ready to do something stupid and somebody would come along and they would pride you up. Why? Because they wanted to see you get hurt or fail, right? I'm still walking, so we didn't do anything too stupid, but there were some moments. You got all prided up. Yeah, man, and almost broke myself. It's like, you get all prided up, a little something enters in there that messes with your mentality, and all of a sudden you are asking, requiring, demanding stupid, foolish things. This party was a good place to do that. This man, in one request, has gotten ready to throw the whole kingdom in chaos. His advisors are looking at him and saying, man, there's going to be contempt and wrath everywhere. you got to do something you got to do something. Verses 13 to 22, nothing like a good party to what? Make a bad decision. In an effort to save face, the king seeks counsel. The public nature of this moment has created far-reaching implications. Whether Vashti was right or wrong, I need you to understand something. Whether she was right or wrong to do or not do what she did doesn't matter. The chaos is there. Do you understand? It's like she did the right thing, she did the wrong thing. Did she handle it properly? It doesn't matter. The chaos is on the doorstep because of something stupid he did. It's right there. Hey, man, this is going to be bad, and it's not going to be bad for you, king. It's going to be bad for everybody. Whether she was right or wrong, her actions have created a larger platform of chaos, and because of that, a larger platform of correction. 
The punishment is going to be punitive and preventative. The ramifications of contempt and wrath cannot be tested nationwide. You know when it has been tested nationwide? Right now. Contempt and wrath everywhere. The chaos that it brings. You and I are living in it. This decision was defending from what you and I wake up in every day. Contempt and wrath. Frustration, anger, seething, hatred, and chaos. Verses 13 to 22, we see all these things start to play out. So when the decree was made, verse 20, by the king in position to another who is better than she. So he says, kick her out, give the queen, uh, give the queen to someone else that's better than she. So when the decree was made by the king, is proclaimed throughout the kingdom, for it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did... As Mamukin promised, uh, proposed, he sent letters to all the royal provinces, to every province in its own script, and to every people in its own language, that every man be master of his own household and speak according to the language of his people. Nothing like a good party to make a bad decision. So the decision's been made. It was caused by him. It's been fanned by him. In order to fight against chaos, he has to let go of something that he loves. Say, how do you know he loves? Because look at chapter 2, verse 1. That's where we finished this morning. What does it say? After these things, when, uh, after these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and that what had been decreed against her. And what happens next? He grieves. He's lonely. He misses her. He's done something so stupid that he can't fix it. He's made decisions that he cannot go back and correct. Why? Well, because they knew when they told him, when you make a decree, it cannot be reversed. We're going to see that later in the book. It's very important. When he made that decree, it could not be reversed. So she is gone, never to come back. And now what happens in chapter 2, when all that rage has died down, he realizes what? Made a mistake. Several of them. When clarity comes, it's too late to cancel what's been decreed. Friends, you don't make decrees, but you do things and you say things. When clarity comes, it may be too late to fix that. You've done something or you've said something. Do not let these moments get out of hand. Check yourself, where you're at, what's going on around you. The king may have uh, overreacted or overstepped his bounds, but even he can't fix this mess. Made a mess he can't fix. I've told you before, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, right? That's Charles Stanley. Halt. Stop. I'm going to give you two more today. When you get excited, be careful. That's what's happening at the start of this. He's not, hungry, he's not hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. The king is excited. He is having a blast, and they are feeding his ego. And then what's after that? Disrespected. You've been disrespected. Be really, really careful what you do or what you say next. Young ones, listen to that. You're walking into high school, walking into college. There's going to be people that push you all the time. Eventually, you're going to grow out of that. You, res you, you want respect from certain people, but the rest of them can just go on about their business. You couldn't care less. But until you get to that point, be very careful what happens when somebody disrespects you. The reaction next may cost you dearly. Have you halted for long enough to get your bearings? Have you halted for long enough to 
assess what's going on, what's going on around you, what's going on within you before you and I react, before you retaliate, before you overreact, before you do something stupid. Esther chapter 1 is all about that stuff. We've not even talked about her yet, and yet this is God's very word. What does he want you and I to get from it? Well, some of these are warnings. And the other one, I think the huge one is simply this. It doesn't matter how you got to where you're at today. You may have made a mistake this bad yesterday. Today may be the day of repentance. Today may be the day of I'm sorry. Today may be the first day of earning back the the respect or the trust that you betrayed. It may be that day for you, but it doesn't matter. Your story can still look like Esther's. Useful, on mission, helpful. Like there are some real warnings here for some of us as we navigate ahead in life. But I think one of the biggest pieces of this is it doesn't matter how you ended up a Christian. It doesn't even matter how you ended up here. God has a plan. God has a purpose. God has a blessing. God has a mission for you. He has something for you to be doing. And there are people that need what you have to offer. As they come this morning to play, that is my pitch to you. As we read through this whole passage of just warning, warning. Right? It's a party, man. How can anything go bad at a party? A lot of stuff can go bad at a party, especially a worldly one. Make messes. We make bad decisions. Right? It's easy to get very prideful. Celebrating you and celebrating your accomplishments, you and I need to be very, very careful. If you need something this morning, you come. You pray, you ask. If you need something from me, if you need to talk about something, you got something going on in your life, you got a temptation that's getting ready to eat you up, you got something that you need some help navigating, reach out. Reach